Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey there, you are listening to the Lazy Genius Podcast. I am Kendra Adachi, and I'm here to help you be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. Today is a special bonus episode of the Lazy Genius Guide to Basketball. We are about to enter March Madness, and I know a lot of you want to start uh, kind of maybe being a little bit involved and understanding what is actually happening in basketball. I did an episode like this for football a couple years ago. It was so fun for me because I love teaching about sports. But it was also really helpful to y'all. Like so many people who had dads as coaches or who were cheerleaders in high school, you said that it was like the most helpful explanation of football you'd ever heard. Now I hope the same thing happens here today with basketball. I will give you the same disclaimer I did for the football episode. I am not an athlete, like at all. I am, I am quite weak. My knees are made of glass. I have poor hand-eye coordination, and I do not understand my body in space. Please do not ask me to play sports with you, but please ask me to talk about sports with you because it's like, that's like my literal favorite thing. Now, I understand the game, and I'm a good teacher, which is why I'm qualified to do this. I am not qualified to coach your children's church league team or to tell you what to do with your arms. I understand the rules, not the mechanics. Also, for the sake of clarity, we are working with the rules of college basketball today, not pro. Some of the rules are are different. Now, I might mention some of those differences. I might not. But what I say here is for sure true of college basketball. Okay, let's uh, let's start with the basics. I'm going to explain basketball here in the beginning like you are all aliens who just arrived on this planet. So please do not be offended. In basketball, there are two teams. Each team is allowed 15 players on its roster, but only five players from each team can be on the court at the same time. So five versus five. In basketball, there is a timer. Not all sports have timers. And when the timer goes off, the team with the most points wins. Most games operate that way. Now, if you want the most points, how do you score points? The only way to score points in basketball is for the actual basketball to go through the basketball hoop. That's the only way. There are other sports where there are like multiple ways to score, but um, that's not the case in basketball. Depending on where you are on the basketball court, it will determine how many points you get, which we'll get to. Now, every sport that has a ball, it has rules about how you can move that ball. It's a very, uh, it's a very key question, okay? How you move the ball in a sport determines so many rules and even like why the sport is fun to watch or not. Football is confusing, I think, because there's so many weird rules about how to move the ball. Basketball is just a lot simpler. Now, the biggest way to think about moving a basketball is that you cannot carry it. At no time are you allowed to hold the ball and then walk with it. In order to move a basketball, while you move your body, you have to bounce the ball. Football, you can carry, you can carry the football and run, right? 
Same with rugby. Baseball, you score without holding the ball at all. You know, see that? Sports are different because of the different ways you're allowed to move the ball. So in basketball, you have to bounce it up and down. That's called dribbling in order to move it around the court. If you stop dribbling, you also have to stop moving. Once you've had a turn dribbling the ball and then you stop, you either have to pass the ball to a teammate or you have to shoot the ball into the basket. Those are your only options. You cannot start dribbling again. If you do, it's called a double dribble. You dribbled twice in one turn. Now, if you pass the ball to a teammate and they just pass it right back to you, that starts your turnover and you can dribble again. If you move your body while holding the ball instead of dribbling it, that's called a walk or a travel. You'll hear that a lot. You're walking with a ball. You can't do that. Now, one important thing to note is that you do not have to be completely still for it to not be called a walk. When you're holding the ball, trying to figure out if you're going to pass the ball or shoot the ball, a player, you'll see a player still move, like almost in a circle. That's because when you are holding the ball, you are allowed what is called a pivot foot. One of your feet must stay planted, but you can pivot on that foot to try and get a better angle for a pass or a shot. So, you know, technically... You can move. You just can't move in any direction other than around your pivot foot that stays completely planted. Cool? So you dribble to move the ball yourself or you pass it to someone else. You can pass the ball so many times in one possession. Other sports have passing rules, like football. There are lots of rules about how you can pass a ball in football. But in basketball, there's really just one rule. You can pass over and over and around and around and you can dribble and then pass or you can like never, never pass at all or never dribble at all. You, you just have to do all of that within the boundary of your half of the court, which is a great place to talk about the court. A basketball court, it has a hoop on each end and then there's one big line down the middle separating the, the two ends, right? That line, that's called half court. Each team has one half of the court where only their team can score. When you're on your side of the court, your team is on offense or has possession of the ball, and you can pass it all you want. But within your half, if you cross that half court line with the ball, like backwards, if you leave your boundary while your team still has the ball, it's called a backcourt violation, and you have to give up the ball. You lose your turn. So there are basically like no rules with passing, like how much you can pass or whatever, as long as you stay in the boundary of your side of the court. Next, let's talk about timing. There is one giant timer in basketball for the whole game. Now in college, that giant timer is broken up into two 20-minute halves. In the NBA, in the pros, it's broken up into four 12-minute quarters. So 40 minutes versus 48. A professional game is eight minutes longer than a college game. Now, as long as the ball is in play, the timer is moving and it is counting down to the end of either halftime, which is, you know, the halfway point of the game or to the end of the game. And remember, the highest score at the end of the timer wins. Now, there are also, there's another, there's another kind of timer. It's called a shot clock. It's like a possession timer. Possession timers 
they they don't exist in football or baseball. Like there's not a limit on how long you can possess the ball before the other team gets a turn. But there is in basketball. Now, why is that? Because you could literally hold the ball for basically ever. And in fact, that's how it used to be. You sometimes hear the phrase, the shot clock era. Before the shot clock era, there was no shot clock. Teams just held the ball as long as they wanted before they tried to score. I mean, that could be exceedingly boring. But in 1985, basketball implemented the shot clock era, where teams had, at that time, 45 seconds to score. If the team did not score within that 45 seconds and that timer buzzed, that's called a shot clock violation. And that team would automatically have to give the ball to the other team. Now, in 1993, the shot clock was shortened to 35 seconds. And then since 2015, it's been 30 seconds. Now, that's college. The NBA shot clock is 24 seconds because they're they're expected to create a shot and score more quickly than college kids because NBA players are like literal pros at it and they shouldn't require as long. So the shot clock is important. And I think it's why basketball is like such a fun, fast-moving sport. You're not really still for very long in basketball because you only have 30 seconds to make something happen. So the shot clock rules are that the clock begins, that shot clock begins when one team has possession of the ball and it will reset, the shot clock will reset at 30 when there is a change of possession, when there is a defensive foul, which we'll get into, and when a shot attempt hits the rim, hits that circle of the basket. So a reset in the shot clock, it does not necessarily mean that the teams take turns. Sometimes a team can have possession for longer than 30 seconds because the shot clock reset, but it reset while they still had the the possession because they got the rebound. We'll get into that more when we talk about rebounds. But the gist of basketball is that each time, I mean each team, not time, each team has to take turns with the ball and you can only have possession for 30 seconds, okay? Back and forth, back and forth. It's just a fast-moving game. Now, all right, let's go back to scoring. There are two types of shots in basketball, free throws and field goals. Now, you might be like, wait, I thought field goals were in football. They are, I'm so sorry, but they're two very different types of field goals. In basketball, A field goal is simply a shot that is taken while the timer is on. A free throw is a shot you take while the timer has stopped. That's kind of why they're free. It's free of time. It's also free of, of defense. No one is allowed to get in your face to make the shot harder. Okay, one made free throw equals one point. Made field goals can be worth either two or three points. And here's how you know which is which. On each side of the court, there is a large half circle, and that is called the three-point line. Any field goal that is made outside of that circle, and I'm talking like a toe cannot even graze that line, that is worth three points. That's why it's a three-point line. Now, if you are within that three-point line, even if it's just by a toe, then that made shot is worth two points. So a free throw is one point, a field goal is two, unless it's made outside the three-point line, in which case it's worth three points. Now, in terms of scoring, 
You might sometimes hear an announcer say, and one, after a basket is scored, or maybe they shout, that's a three-point play, or even sometimes like, that's a possible four-point play. This is a great time to talk about what happens when you break the rules in basketball. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Squarespace. I don't know if you've checked out my website lately, but she just got an upgrade and we did it with Squarespace. With Squarespace, it is so easy to create a beautiful website all on your own terms. My team recently updated our Squarespace site to use Fluid Engine, a next generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag and drop technology for desktop or mobile. It's seriously so cool. It's mobile layout display. It lets us see what people see on their own mobile devices as we make edits and updates. And 78% of you visit the site on your mobile device. So making sure what you see looks and performs the way it's meant to matters to me. If you want to build a new website, try out Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash lazy genius to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Rosetta Stone. Last year, Kaz and I went to Italy and holy moly, what a trip. The museums, the food, the culture. At least once a week, I still think about the gelato. One thing that would have been nice, though, is to know actual Italian. We used translation apps and we made it work, but I love that I can start learning new languages for future trips now with Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with 25 languages to choose from. I can learn on the go with downloadable offline lessons in the app or at my desktop. My favorite feature, though, is true accent, which gives me feedback on how well I'm pronouncing words as I'm learning them. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Lazy Genius podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com genius. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com genius today. I found Olive in June in 2020 when we were all looking for new hobbies and things to do. Well, now almost four years later, doing my nails at home with my daughter, Annie, and Olive in June's Manny system is still one of the things I look forward to every week. Olive in June makes it easy to get a salon-worthy manicure from the comfort of your home. The Manny system has everything you need in one box, salon-grade tools designed just for DIY, and your choice of six polish colors. And y'all, the colors they make are stunning. Annie and I just tried out their new colors for Valentine's day i'm wearing love note a sparkly nude that matches my skin tone and annie is wearing bouquet a shimmery pink that matches her personality plus olive and june's polish is chip resistant and lasts for seven days visit oliveandjune.com slash lazy genius for 20 percent off your first manny system that's o-l-i-v-e-a-n-d-j-u-n-e.com slash l-a-z-y-g-e-n-i-u-s for 20 percent off your first manny system This episode is sponsored by Ritual. The days are getting longer, but it's still tough to get the recommended vitamin D from sunshine alone, not to mention the risks we take with sun exposure. That's why I love that my multivitamin is helping me out. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus, that's the one I take, was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. And for someone like me who likes to move but has glass knees, I'll take all the extra support from my multivitamin I can get. 
Ritual's multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, flute and major allergen free, and gentle on an empty stomach. Plus, each bottle has a minty essence that makes taking them actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash lazy genius. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash lazy genius for 20% off. So what happens when you break a rule? It depends on the rule you break. Essentially, there are two kinds of rule breaking. A violation and a foul. A violation is usually a rule against like the court, like traveling or a double dribble or a backcourt violation. It's not really about another player necessarily. You just moved the ball in a way that broke the rules. That's a violation. The consequence of a violation is called a turnover or when you literally have to turn the ball over to the other team and you lose your turn. It's hard to win a game if your team keeps racking up turnovers because you're losing your chance to score. The other kind of rule breaking is called a foul. There are lots of kinds of fouls. Pretty much all fouls are like body on body. It's not body on ball or ball on court. It's body on body. Now, this might get hairy, So take a deep breath and hang tight because I think understanding fouls, it really enhances your enjoyment of the uh, the drama of basketball. Now in college basketball and in the NBA, but the numbers are different, you can only commit so many fouls before the consequences get turned up. It's like parenting. You show grace the first time, maybe even like the second or third or fourth. But like if the kid does the same thing again a fifth time, you're like, okay, we got to adjust some things over here. That is true in basketball. So each team collectively as a team can only commit a certain number of fouls before the consequences start kicking in. Okay. The same is also true for each individual player. Each player is allowed to commit four fouls without penalty to them. But on the fifth foul, you can't play anymore. You're done for the game. You have fouled out. That's why you might hear an announcer comment on a player that is on the court and playing with four fouls, especially with like a decent amount left in the game, because it's risky. Any foul against that player and they're gone. They can't play anymore. We're going to get back to team fouls in just a second. But first, I want to talk about the different kinds of fouls. We're going to make this quick, but it's important. Okay, first, there are offensive fouls and defensive fouls. Offensive fouls are when your team is in possession of the ball and you commit the foul. And defensive fouls are when the other team has the ball and you commit a foul against them. Both count against team fouls and personal fouls, like the player's fouls. The distinction between offensive and defensive fouls, it doesn't really matter except to say you can just break the rules whether you have the ball or not, you know? Also, offensive fouls, especially something called a charge, which is when a player commits a foul while shooting, they're super dramatic in a game. Like that, what that means is that a defensive player took a body hit to defend a shot. And home crowds, they love an offensive foul. There's like big momentum swings with those. So defensive fouls and offensive fouls. It's a fairly basic categorization. There's another categorization. There's shooting fouls and there's non-shooting fouls. They are what they sound like. 
If you commit a shooting foul, you committed a foul against a player while they were shooting the ball into the basket. A non-shooting foul is when you commit a foul against a player and they're not shooting the ball into the basket. It's pretty clear. But the consequences or or penalties for shooting and non-shooting fouls are quite different. Any shooting foul, no matter where it happens in the game, in the first minute in the game, in the last minute of the game, it always has the same penalty. If a player was fouled while shooting a field goal, remember that's just like any, any shot when the timer's on, if a player was fouled while shooting a field goal and that shot did not go in the basket, then that fouled player gets to shoot the same number of free throws that they would have scored if the shot had gone in. So if a player is fouled while shooting a three-pointer, then that player gets to shoot three free throws. And then a shooting foul anywhere else on the court, it just gets the shooter two free throws, okay? So basically you get to make up the points that you would have made had the shot gone in and you were not fouled, okay? Now, what if a player gets fouled while shooting, but the ball does go in? That's called an and one. You'll hear, um, you'll hear announcers or even me in my living room, uh, like shout and one, like <laughs> really exciting. It's like a big moment in basketball and and one is like really exciting, Basically, the offensive player or the shooter, they're so good at shooting, you know, like he made the shot even though his arm was hit or his body was hit or whatever the foul was. And just because that shot went in, it doesn't mean the other team doesn't get penalized for committing that foul and hitting the shooter's body. So the fouled player gets one extra shot. They get one free throw and one. They got the points from that shot and one more. Maybe if they can make the free throw. That happens on all shooting fouls, no matter when they happen in the game. Okay. Now there are also non-shooting fouls where there is body on body contact of some kind, but the player was not shooting or didn't even have the ball. Like you can be fouled without having the ball. So in those cases for non-shooting fouls, the consequence is determined by how many fouls the entire team has at that point. Let me say that again. The consequence of a non-shooting foul is determined by how many fouls the entire team has at that point in the game. Remember how I said that teams are penalized if their whole team gets a certain number of fouls? This is where that comes in. And it's good to understand because there are a lot of ramifications for this, especially, especially at the end of games. Okay, so remember how each player gets four fouls, but on their fifth foul, they're out of the game? Well, each team also gets consequences after a certain number of fouls, but the whole team doesn't get kicked out like a player does because that would be weird and very anticlimactic, but there are consequences at a certain point. And that point is after six team fouls. Each team gets six team fouls per half before the consequences start. And then that number resets at halftime, no matter how many fouls the team had. So everybody starts from zero at the start of the second half, at the beginning of the game and at the start of the second half. Now, when a team hits their seventh foul and a half, here's the consequence. Even non-shooting fouls get free throws. Remember, shooting fouls always allow the fouled team to shoot free throws. But once a team has committed that seventh foul, even non-shooting fouls 
result in free, free throws for the other team. So for fouls seven, eight, and nine, the fouled team gets to shoot what is called a one and one. That fouled player, because if you're the one who's fouled, you're the one who takes the shot. Unless it's a technical foul, which we can talk about later. Actually, we're not going to talk about that because we don't have time, but like, it's fine. So what happens is the fouled player shoots one shot. They get one free throw. And if he makes that shot, then he gets a second try. If he misses the first shot, there is no second shot. That's called a one and one. And when a team gets fouled on that seventh time, it's called the bonus. And the bonus is that every non-shooting foul results in a one and one. Now, once a team commits their 10th foul, the foul team is now in what is called the double bonus. And that team gets to shoot two free throws for every single non-shooting foul. Now, this matters in an end-of-game strategy. Uh, Dean Smith, the legendary coach of the Carolina Tar Heels, which is my personal team, uh, did what was called milking the clock. Where when his team was behind, like you would think like, oh, my team is behind. Like we can't, we're down seven with, you know, 30 seconds to go. There's no way we can win. Well, Dean, he would have his players foul the other team on a non-shooting foul. They just foul them, you know, go for the ball in a rough way. You know, the ref is going to call it. And the other team would shoot free throws. But what it would do is it would stop the clock. It would stop the clock because free throws you shoot when the clock is not running. And so maybe the team makes the free throws, maybe not, but it left more clock time for the, for the Tar Heels in this scenario specifically to score and catch up. It's a pretty brilliant strategy that is used all the time. Now you will also hear the term fouls to give. That means that a team collectively has not accumulated enough team fouls to trigger those consequences of the one-on-one free throws. You know, they've, they've, they have less than seven team fouls. So what that means, if they have a foul to give, they can be like more aggressive defensively. They can go for a steal. And even if they're called for a foul, it's a non-shooting foul. And the other team is not in the bonus yet. And so they won't shoot free throws even if they're fouled. So there is a lot of fun strategy and gameplay at the end of games with, with team fouls. But ultimately, the consequences in basketball are turnovers for violations and free throws or, or tallies that lead to more free throws for fouls. Now, I think fouls are the most complicated part of basketball, so good job. You did it. Now we're going to do some quick vocabulary. We'll be right back. Okay, so these are all words you're absolutely going to hear in every single game. So it's just good to know what they are. First, let's do some player and position words. There are five players on the court at once for each team. And the traditional setup for those is a center, two forwards, a power forward and a small forward, and then two guards, a shooting guard and a point guard. The center is usually the biggest player who hangs out by the basket to defend and to shoot because he's tall, right? The forwards are like the next biggest guys, um, usually big guys who can move. The power forward is a post player, meaning it's somebody who plays toward the basket. A small forward is still pretty big. He can go inside, but he's a little more mobile and like, I mean, he's well smaller, you know, sometimes. Then there are the guards. Shooting guards are usually smaller players that can shoot from anywhere particularly from three, 
Okay. And then point guards are, they're kind of like the quarterbacks. They bring the ball up the court and they kind of direct the plays. They're on point. So starters are the five players from each team that start the game. Usually you start your best players, like that's common practice. And then subs are the players that come in and out throughout the game. Basketball has a lot of subs and they happen often. Different sports have different rules for subs. Like in soccer, you have a limited number of subs, but you can only do it at like certain times of the game. And like someone can't come back in again. You know, like different, it's so fascinating, like all the rules, all the different sports. Okay, let's do some court terms. The sideline is the, again, your aliens. Remember, your aliens. You've never been here before. The sideline is the horizontal boundary of the court or that longest side of the court. The two sides are the longest. And then the baseline is the shorter side underneath each basket. Okay? Baseline and sideline. You'll hear those a lot because a player will inbound at the sideline or, or inbound at the baseline. Inbound means to just pass the ball from out of bounds to inbounds. And depending on where you do that from, you'll hear, you know, baseline inbound or sideline inbound. The um, the paint, that's another word you'll hear. The paint is the rectangle underneath the basket. Um, it's usually painted with like the team's logo or something, which I assume is why it's called the paint. But you'll hear the phrase points in the paint, which is really a way of talking about aggressive play close to the basket. A team that has a lot of points in the paint, it means they are taking the ball straight to the basket, which requires a lot of power and aggression. Or in the case of Steph Curry, who is my favorite player, and he's also tiny for a basketball player. It takes finesse. Um, okay, some more words. The basket is just another word for the basketball goal of the hoop. The rim is the edge of that hoop. The net is the net. But when you hear the phrase nothing but net, that just means the ball did not even hit the rim. That's how smooth and well shot it was. Like it touched nothing but net. The backboard is the board behind the basket that you can bounce the ball off of to make shots. And the top of the key, the top of the key is the top of the three-point line. It's kind of like the opening up of the offensive area, okay? Those are all terms that you'll hear. Now, these are some basketball um, movement terms. And some of these are like a really big deal. A rebound. A rebound is when you grab the ball after a shot. There are defensive rebounds, which is when the defense recovers the ball after a shot by the other team, and they reclaim possession. And there are offensive rebounds when the team that shot the ball gets it back. Now, the reason these are so important is that rebounds, they affect possession. If you get a defensive rebound, you're preventing the shooting team from getting another chance to score in that possession. And offensive rebounds are even bigger because if you remember, when the basketball hits the rim, the shot clock resets. So that means that if a guy takes a shot and misses, but the ball bounces off the rim, the shooter's own teammate can get that rebound and keep possession of the ball for his team. And they have a fresh 30-second shot clock. Also related to rebounds, you might hear the phrase, crash the boards. That's when just like a bunch of players go up aggressively for a rebound, like close to the backboard or the basket, you know. You also might hear the term box out, which is when you use your body to prevent an opponent from being able to get a rebound. Rebounds are huge. And they're one of the main stats that are recorded for players. Okay, assists. Assists are equally as huge, but they're, they're a little quieter. An assist is when one player passes the ball to another player in a position where that player can immediately score. 
Assists are my favorite stat because they are so team oriented. They're not flashy. The glory always goes to the scorer. But a player that generates a lot of assists is seeing the court, finding openings, creating opportunities for his teammates. Like, I love assists. Assists are the opposite of hero ball, and I hate hero ball. Blocks are another stat log for players, and a block is what it sounds like. It is a defensive stat where a player uses his hands to block a shot from going in the basket. Now, there are rules around this because there's rules around everything. And if you break the rule and you block the shot incorrectly, which is basically when the ball is already in the cylinder of the basket or it's on its way down, that's called a goaltend, which means the team that shot the ball, they still get the points. Like basically the rule is saying, hey, the ball would have obviously gone in if you hadn't gotten in the way, sir. And therefore it's not really a block because it broke the blocking rules. But blocks are like super fun. They're really dramatic, especially when a player just like swats the ball away from the court. Blocking and recovering possession by the same player, like that's quite a move. It's less flashy than a more dramatic block, but blocks are a very important part of basketball and another main stat that is uh, kept for players. And then a steal, a steal is when a defensive player steals the ball from an offensive player. Those usually happen towards the top of the key or the top of the court. In general, Blocks are a defensive stat that the bigger guys get, like centers and forwards, and steals are the defensive stat that the smaller guys get, the guards. Both, again, are very dramatic, very fun. Now, the main stats that are kept for individual players are points, rebounds, assists, blocks, and steals. Now, this is another term you'll hear. A double-double is when a player's stat line has two categories that I just listed, has two categories where the numbers are in double figures. So 10 points and 10 rebounds. That's a double-double. 27 points and 11 assists. You know what I'm saying? A triple-double is when you hit double digits in three of those categories. Triple-doubles, they're not rare necessarily, but they do indicate that a player had a great game. Now, there are, um, there are stats for players with like the most triple doubles in a season or across their careers. Russell Westbrook, who currently plays uh, in the NBA for the LA Lakers, he has the most triple doubles of any player in NBA history with 197. 197. He has played 197 games where he got double digits in three categories in the same game. That's crazy. That's crazy. Okay, a few more terms. We're almost done. An air ball is when a shot ball does not even hit the rim or the net or anything. It just hits air, you know? College fans love to chant air ball. Oh, they love it. An alley-oop is, uh, is an assist. It's a fancy kind of assist where the ball is passed to a player and that player like catches it in midair and in the same breath dunks the ball. A dunk is slamming the ball into the basket where the player's hand like actually slams the rim itself. And then a bank shot is when the ball goes off the backboard first and then into the basket. And then finally, a couple of uh, defensive terms that are good to know. First, uh, you will hear the phrase man-to-man. That is a type of defense where every single defensive player has an offensive player that they're defending. So the defense is man-to-man or this guy with that guy. No guy is left undefended. And if you're a defender, you just chase your guy around the court. Another defensive style is zone. A zone defense. A zone defense is where the defensive players all have like a zone of the court that they cover 
no matter what player comes into it. A zone defense is a bit less frantic because players are not like all chasing players. I think of parenting in these terms. When Kaz and I had Sam and Ben, we were man-to-man. Man-to-man parenting, one man for every kid. No worries. But when we had Annie, we had to go to zone. We had to be more thoughtful about where we were because there were more kids than there were us. It's an adjustment, still effective. It's just different. You know, you just cover what you can. Okay, you guys, we did it. We did it. We just learned about basketball. Now, there are obviously like a lot more things like five-second calls and full-court press defense and overtime rules and all these things. But you now know the essentials to enjoy the game of basketball. It is getting close to March Madness. I hope that when the games are on, you start paying attention to some of these terms and you notice how they impact the way the game's played and the experience of watching it. Different teams have different styles. And that's based on, you know, if they play zone defense, which is generally more boring. Or if they, you know, push the ball up the court, if they um, move at a fast pace offensively, or if that team just like crashes the boards on every possession because their coach has prioritized rebounds, every team has a different style and every player has a different combination of skills. There are seven footers who shoot threes. There are small point guards that can do flashy dunks. You know, it's just so fun. But March is the most fun with college basketball. The NCAA tournament is where teams, they leave it all on the line. It's like one and done. If you lose your game, you're out of the tournament. Your season's over. There's no like best out of three or five or seven like in some other sports. You get one shot to win that game and that's it. It's also the only place that teams from smaller schools and smaller conferences get to play against some of the powerhouses from like the bigger conferences. And a lot of times those smaller schools, they beat the big guy. And it's like, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Cinderella story indeed. So I hope this episode helps you enjoy March Madness even more. Maybe you already did. Okay, that is it for today. Thank you for listening to this special bonus episode. And until next time, be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. I'm Kendra. I'll see you on Monday. Go Heels. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.